Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast, episode four. I am your host, William of Clermont. In this episode, we start the narrative on the religious wars against the people of the Baltic region, and more specifically, in our narrative, Livonia and Estonia. To take advantage of the new trading opportunities in the Baltic region after the Windisch Crusade, in 1143, the town of Lübeck was found, founded on an island on the river Elba that was about 20 kilometers upstream from the Baltic Sea, which was important because on the Baltic Sea, piracy was a major problem, and its placement made it difficult for local pirates to sail upstream and raid the city. But the river was deep enough for trading ships. The settlement of Lübeck was extremely successful, and Henry the Lion, the Duke of Saxony, transferred the bishopric of Oldenburg to Lübeck and constructed a church and a cathedral. Henry exempted the local merchants and traders from dues normally payable in Saxony, and the town flourished. Within a century, Lübeck became the most populous city in Europe, with tradesmen and boat builders flocking to it. The boat builders provided ships that the inhabitants of Lübeck used to sail out into the Baltic Sea. They traded with Gotland and used rivers to make their way to the Orthodox Christian-Russian principalities. A really good and navigable river that gave access inland to the traders was the Daugava River, conveniently located in the protected bay of the Gulf of Riga. Between the Baltic Sea and the Russian principalities was a land of pagans that weren't as open to the German traders as the Christians of Russia were. German traders were able to have some luck setting up trading posts on the shores of the Dalgova River, and it wasn't too long before clergymen accompanied the traders and started trying to convert local pagans. In 1180, an Augustinian friar that was later to become Bishop Meinhardt arrived in Livonia, and a group of German merchants with the goal of preaching the local to the local Livonians and to establish a Christian church. And he had had some success with baptizing some local Livonians. I think it's also important to point out that the Livonian people were a Finno-Ergic people and were kindred spirits to the Estonians, meaning they had similar language, culture, and belief system to Estonians. And un- unfortunately, their language and culture had only recently died out after many centuries of pressure from foreign players. During his winter in Livonia, Meinhardt had to flee his church into the wilderness in the middle of winter to escape from a band of raiding Lithuanians. The Livonians were not a warlike people, and they didn't have fortifications to use as a refuge in times like these. Meinhardt had an idea of building two fortifications to help protect the village of Ixkul, now modern-day Ixkula in Latvia, against any future attacks, and the Livonians could see that this made sense. Meinhardt, though, had the idea that the fortifications should be made of stone instead of wood, so so that the Lithuanians couldn't burn it down. The problem was, this would be a very expensive, laborious, and time-consuming proposition. 
Meinhardt made an offer to the Livonians that seemed too good to be true. Meinhardt would finance the fortifications, pay the stonemasons that were needed from Gotland to build the structures, and hire mercenaries to help protect the villagers while the fortifications were being constructed. In exchange for this, Meinhardt asked the Livonians to take an oath to convert to Christianity and be baptized once the forts were constructed, which also obligated the, the Livonians to paying church tithes. As the structures were nearing completion and the tithes were becoming due to pay the stonemasons, a number of the previously converted pagans decided to give it up and go back to following their old faith. Also, the Livonians that had pled to be baptized reneged. Not only did the Livonians renege on their pledge to convert to Christianity, they attempted to sacrifice a newly arrived priest named Theodoric. Hopefully the fact that Meinhardt was made a bishop at about this time was consolation for him and made him feel better about the situation. When Theodoric arrived in 1191, he was sent north to go and live with some Estonians in a more remote area. What happened when Theodoric was in Estonia has some variations with the story. One version says, while Theodoric was there, uh, he farmed the land for food. During this period, it was unusually wet, and all the people living in the village lost their crops, except for Theodoric. The local pagans could not understand how a foreigner who had just arrived could succeed where they, who had farmed this land for generations, could not. They took this as divine displeasure, and to try to appease the gods, they offered Theodoric as a sacrifice. In the other version, Theodoric was threatened because he blocked out the sun and would eat it up. This version does have some facts to back it up. As on midsummer night in June 1191, a solar eclipse did take place. At any rate, according to Henry of Livonia, the village came to see whether or not the stranger would be sacrificed. The Livonians placed a spear on the ground and placed Theodoric on the back of a horse. One leg of the horse was to be the foot of life, and the other was to be the foot of death. Whichever leg crossed the spear first would decide Theodoric's fate. The horse happened to cross the spear with, his, with the foot of life, and Theodoric was very happy and made hand gestures and prayed aloud to the Lord. The Livonians took this as meaning that Theodoric's god must have been on the horse guiding it to a favorable outcome. This would not do, so they decided to do it all over again, except this time, before the horse took its walk, the Livonians wiped down the horse to clean it and make sure that the god would not be on top of it, guiding the outcome. The horse once again crossed the spear with the foot of life. Therefore, Theodoric was allowed to live. After this, Theodoric made his way back to Uxku. The local Livonians would not allow Meinhardt to leave, as they knew he was displeased with them for not converting and paying tithes, and they were worried about Meinhardt bringing back an army to collect what was due. The Livonians, however, however did not place this travel restriction on the other Christians. 
so Theodoric made his way to Rome to seek papal assistance. After that, Theodoric made his way back north to Gotland to raise an army from the local merchants. An army did set sail from Visby, and it even included the Duke of Sweden. As he and everyone on the venture saw the lucrative trading possibilities if their expedition was a success. The expedition ended poorly as the ship was blown off course way north to their destination and landed in Estonia. The men on this, this ship began to pillage the local Estonians to the regret of Theodoric. The Duke of Sweden by this time had had enough and decided to sail back to Gotland. Most of the army followed his example and left as well. The tiny band that was left made their way back to Ixku, where Theodoric was reunited with Bishop Meinhardt. The news of the failed expedition did not sit well with the bishop, and he died soon after. A new, a new bishop named Berthold was appointed, and he made his way to Ixku to try his hand at Christianizing the Livonians without any army and to take possession of the bishopric. Berthold gathered all the important Livonians and showered them with food and gifts in, a, in an attempt to win them over. Soon Berthold learned of various plans to kill him, and the Livonians accused Berthold of coming to Ixkul to take position of the bishopric because he was poor. He secretly went back to the ship and fled to Gotland, and then Saxony. Here Berthold expressed the difficult situation he faced to the Pope, and therefore Pope Innocent III granted remission of sins to all that took the cross and armed themselves against the, the Livonians. So a northern crusade was launched. Berthold and, and an army made their way to Ixkul. The Livonians made it clear that the army was not welcome and that they could stay and they could only convert Livonians by means of persuasion and not by force. This is not what the army had come for, however. Negotiations took place when the Livonians failed to provide the hostages the Crusaders asked for, and it got heated, and both sides lined up against each other. The Livonians were mostly on foot, the Crusaders were on horses. It was not looking like it would be a fair fight. But Berthold's horse was spooked and it darted off directly into the Livonian lines. The, the Livonians promptly dehorsed the bishop and killed him on the spot. The crusaders took their revenge by rampaging Livonian settlements and forcibly converting some Livonians. Shortly after, the crusaders boarded their ships and set sail. The Livonians, who had just recently been converted, plunged into the Dalgova River to wash away the baptism. Archbishop Hartwig, after finding out about Berthold's death, now needed to find someone he could trust to take the Bishop of Livonia, and he chose his nephew, Albert. Albert sailed around the Baltic, drumming up support for a new crusade, and raised an army of 500 men, mostly merchants, who were all granted remission of their sins if they took the cross. When the army landed in Livonia, 
most of the Livonians scattered into the forest, and some warriors stayed to fight where they could, taking opportunities to ambush isolated groups of crusaders instead of taking on the entire army in battle. Albert called for a meeting with the Livonians, and 30 Livonian boys were offered to the crusaders as hostages. This meant a truce was on. Therefore, the bulk of the crusaders sailed off to home, without much of a fight and without the conversion of the Livonians. At this point, Albert made the decision to send Theodoric to Rome and deliver a report to Pope Innocent on the situation in Livonia. Albert hoped to have the Pope declare another crusade and forbid Christian, mer Christian merchants from trading with any pagans. Albert headed back to Saxony to try to drum up support for the new crusade. In the year 1201, when Albert arrived back in Livonia, he was at the head of a greatly reduced army. He also moved the site of his capital from Uxkul to a new site on the mouth of the Daugava River that was more open. They had more open land and a natural harbor. The new site was named Riga, and the new church was constructed. Merchants and craftsmen were invited to set up homes. In 1202, when, when Bishop Albert headed back to Saxony on his annual pilgrimage, Theodoric came up with, a, with the idea of starting a new military order, modeling it after the Hospitallers in the Holy Land. The name of this new military unit was the Order of the Sword Brethren, or the Sword Brothers. This had the advantage of being able to depend on fighters for an extended period of time. Generally, when a person went on crusade, it was for a specific period of time, and then they went home. By creating a new permanent order, the knights that learned valuable information about the pagans and the land would be there to take advantage of this knowledge. The Sword Brethren soon gained a violent reputation and were eventually accused of many crimes. While in Saxony, Albert was able to recruit some, of, some more crusaders and sailed back to Riga. On his way to, back to Riga, the ships blew off course and the crusaders came across a group of Estonian pirates plundering church bells. The quick-talking Estonians told Albert that they had made peace with the people of Riga and, and were able to go on their way. Later, Albert found out he was tricked by the pirates. But, as fate would have it, they happened to, cross across, to come across the pirates again on Gotland. In all, two ships were stopped, and about 60 Estonians were killed. Upon his return to Riga, Albert sent Theodoric on another trip to Rome, this time with an influential Livonian elder named Calpo that, that held sway over half the people of Livonia. The Pope treated Calpo well and gifted him 100 pieces of gold and asked him many questions about the land and the people of Livonia. After his trip, Calpo remained a devoted Christian the rest of his life. During this period of time, the city of Riga started to flourish. Many Russians from the Principality of Polotsk were sailing down the Daugava River and trading with the merchants of Riga. Also, the conversion 
of the Livonian people started to pick up steam, with the sword brethren playing local tribes off against each other. Now that our story now that our storyline has shown how the church got a foothold in Livonia and how the sword brethren were established, it's time to start focusing on the invasion and the conquest of Estonia. But not in this episode, however. In episode five, we will jump straight into the invasion of Estonia and describe their long and bloody fight for freedom. If you would like to reach out to me, you can email me at sparsleyw at gmail.com, parsley spelled like the herb or vegetable. And until next time, nagamisini.